Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, God, we just come before you, and Lord, we're just so incredibly uh, humbled at the fact that you love us. God, we, we are so thankful that you are a God of love, that you are a God of mercy. And Lord, we thank you that we could come together and, and we could just worship you. Father, we thank you for that time of worship that we had. Uh, we thank you that we could just come before you and, and just glorify you for all that you do. Lord, we just ask that right now as we get into your word, that your Holy Spirit would just be so present. Father, we ask that, that you would just, um, just convict us where we need convicting, Father, that you would challenge us where we need challenging, and that you would encourage us where we need encouraging. And um, Father, we just, uh, yeah, God, we just invite you into this space, and, and we, we ask you, Father, to change us and make us more like you. Lord, we want to represent you well, and we want to glorify you with the way that we live our lives. So we just ask that, that you would do that in us tonight. And um, Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I just pray that tonight would be the night of salvation, Father, that you would soften hearts and that you would speak. And so we thank you for, for all of this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in this passage, it's, it's, he has this idea, this theme of oneness. And he talks about seven different ones, which is really interesting because seven in the Bible is an idea of completeness. It's not necessarily an idea of perfection, but one example that, that I can give you is in the book of Revelation when, when um, John talks about the seven letters to the seven churches, what he's not saying is that the church is perfect in that seven, but what those seven letters address the church in totality. It's this idea of completeness. And what is the idea of completeness in this oneness? I don't really know. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. It's just interesting. So what we're going to do, uh, that really didn't help anybody with anything, but it is interesting. Maybe we can think about it and marinate on that. But what we're going to do is we're going to break down each of these ones and talk about what they mean. So, the, to, so to start off, there is one body. There is one body. And out of context, that seems like something kind of confusing. Like, what is he even talking about with one body? So I'm going to give you guys a little um, just tip. When, when you're reading through and studying the Bible, there's this thing called correlation. And correlation is when you read something in the Bible and you don't understand it, so you go back to other times this is talked about in Scripture to, to give you an idea and an understanding of what the Bible is actually talking about so that you can interpret it properly and you're not just coming up with weird ideas on your own. So what we're going to do is we're going to use correlation, and I actually use that a lot in, in our studies, which is why we have like thousands of verses every time we go through the Bible so that we can get a a full clear picture as to what Paul is saying. But anyways, when you look at this, he talks about the body earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, verse 23, and he says, And he, the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is Jesus' body. 
the fullness of God who fills all in all. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, excuse me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And we used this verse last week as we were talking about humility. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. But verse 4 he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So these two scriptures tell us very clearly what Paul is talking about when he's talking about this one body. So the one body is the church. Not, not the church Ignition, not the church Calvary Tucson, but the universal church, the church with a capital C. So every believer, every follower of Jesus, you could say that this is the universal church, right? Every follower of Jesus is, is considered the body of Christ. And Christ is the head, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 1. But one of the things I want us to recognize that I think, that is think, that I think is really important that Paul teaches, and we're going to get more into this next week as we talk about spiritual gifts, but one of the things that, that I think that a lot of times, and, and I say this from experience, is we look at certain individuals in the church and we think that that is the standard or, or that is what it means to be spiritually mature. And what I, what I mean by that, and Paul actually addresses that, and he talks about how there are different members of the body, and we are all given different gifts, we're all given different talents, but, but one of the things we tend to do as just human beings, as we look at, at someone, and it's usually someone that's in a place like I'm in, someone that, that sits here, someone that stands on stage, or someone that is, is the one teaching, or a worship leader, who, who's sitting up there and leading us in worship and encouraging us and leading us to the throne of God. We look at people like that and we think, oh, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus or that's what it means to be mature in Christ. So that is what I need to be. That is, that is who I need to try to be. And we see that, man, and God has, God has created us in, in such unique and special ways and he's given us all different talents. He's given us different skills. He's given us, he's given us different callings. And he's given us different experiences. And he did that for a reason. Man, and and it, one of the things I, just, I also want, want to just mention here is we have this idea in our minds, whether it's conscious or subconscious, of what a Christian is supposed to look like or what a Christian is supposed to sound like. I made a couple jokes about like Christianese. It was either last week or a couple weeks ago. But there's, there's almost like a language that Christians speak to. And when we come to church, we're around like, quote unquote, our brothers and sisters in Christ or other Christians. We tend to act in a certain way. And I just want want to, to remind us, and we, and we talk about this a lot too, that church is not a place for us to put up a facade of perfection. Church is not a place for us to come and act like we have everything figured out. 
Church is not a place where we come and, and we just keep it extremely surface level so that nobody can know what I'm actually going through. Nobody can know what I'm actually struggling with because if they did, man, that they would judge me and they wouldn't want anything to do with me. That is the exact opposite mindset of what the church is supposed to be. That is an extremely pharisaical mindset. The Pharisees were the kinds of people that when they saw sinners, they looked at them with disgust. They looked at them as if if they were lower people. And we need to be so careful not to do that in the church today because that is where we are prone to go. Man, we're so prone to get religious. We're so prone to, to act like we have everything figured out so that people look at us in a certain light, so that people have a certain perception of us. But we need to, to remember, man, and it starts. Man, oh, dude, this sounds super cheesy. I was going to sing like Michael Jackson. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. It starts with you, baby. That's a good song. That's a deep song. That's a philosophical song. You can sit on that song for a while. But anyways, it starts with each of us making an individual personal decision, right, to, to, to put, pull that facade down, pull those walls down. And, and I think it really, man, man, we can, we can do a whole teaching on this because the way that we love each other and the way that we respond to when people share something with us that they're struggling with or share something with us that they're dealing with, Man, it's, we need to be so careful that we do not respond with judgment, but that we respond with grace and mercy and love because that is who we are called to be because that is how Jesus responded to you. And we are representatives and ambassadors of Jesus. So that is how we are to respond to each other. But anyways, um, so we're all members of the body of Christ and all members of one another, which is something that, that is so interesting. And that just goes back to this whole idea of fellowship where you, you, if you think that you can do this Christian life isolated, then you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. And the, and the, the perfect example is Adam. Man, the man that was literally alone. The only human being to exist. He was alone and he had God, right? So, so he... he, he was complete. He didn't necessarily need anything because he had God, but what did God say to Adam? Or what did he say to himself? And then we, that can get super complex too. But anyways, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. So God creates a partner for him to walk through life with him, and that is Eve. So we see right off the bat that, that we need each other. We work and we function as a body. And when we get into 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul gives a bunch of analogies how some people are the eyes, some people are the nose, some people are the ears, some people are the mouth. And he said, if the eyes were to say to the mouth, man, I want to be more like the mouth, then how are you going to see? Or if the hand says, man, I want to be more like the mouth because the mouth gets so much more attention, then how are you going to do anything with your hands? So what he's saying is that all of us, again, were created and we were designed 
with different skills, experiences, gifts. Man, we have some extroverts. We have some introverts. We have people that like talking and that are really good at speaking and articulating words. And we have some people that are really good at just responding when someone needs help and just going to someone's house or walking through issues with people. We have people that are really good at leading worship. We have people that are really good at just standing back there and just praying for you without you even knowing about it. But we all work and function as a body to work together to accomplish his purposes. And man, what an incredible honor it is for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. That is, that is a, a gift for us to be able to be used by God to go and share the love of Jesus with the world. God chooses to use us. And this is, dude, this is the best part of it. He chooses to use us, but he isn't dependent on us. So he can use you despite your failure. You can mess up, and guess what? It doesn't mean that just because you messed up or you did the wrong thing or you said the wrong thing that you ruined someone's life because that, you are not any person's savior. Jesus is the savior. So he chooses to use us, yet he isn't dependent on us. And it's such an incredible thing. So it's such an incredible grace that we get to live in. And this sets us up for the next couple weeks as we talk about spiritual gifts. But moving on. So he says, one body. And he says, and one spirit. One spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit is mentioned several times already in the book of Ephesians. You can look in chapter 1. Um, in verse 13, he talks about how the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. And then later in, um, in chapter 1, he talks about how the Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who God is. And then it talks about how the Spirit, how we have access in chapter 2, verse 18, how we have access to the Father, how we have access to God through the Spirit. And then he also mentions how the Spirit is the one that revealed to Paul the mystery that the gospel is available for all people. No matter how smart you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter what, what kind of family you grew up in, no matter what you've done, the gospel is available for all people. And that was revealed to Paul through the Holy Spirit. And in last week, in, in chapter 4, verse 3, he says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. So we need to recognize that the Spirit is not divisive. The Spirit is not divisive. This is why we need to be so wise in our discernment whether, and, and whether we are being led by the Spirit or our sinful nature. Because we are so prone, man, to lead to, to divide ourselves over the most ridiculous things. One of the things that that people were doing in 1 Corinthians is they were, they were, be, they were being divisive over um, who they followed, essentially what pastor they listened to. So, and we see that today. Man, you see some people that be like, oh, yeah, man, I'm a John MacArthur guy. Or, yeah, dude, I'm a John Piper dude. Or, yeah, I'm a Chuck Smith guy. I'm a, I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. I'm, I'm XYZ guy. And what Paul is telling them, he writes to them, he's like, dude, what are you talking about? What are you guys thinking? He's like, are you, is, is Apollos, is Peter your savior? Man, is Paul, am I your savior? No, we're not your savior. Jesus Christ 
is your Savior. And we get so caught up on different, there's different, like, little, little, doc, and, and do I think doctrine is important? Absolutely. I, I very much do. But we, we get divisive and we argue about the smallest ridiculous things. And even if someone wants to agree with us, we have to go back and think, oh, no, dude, we, i got to figure out a way that, that I'm right and he's wrong. That's what i got to do. And then i got to argue with him about it and try to prove to him that he's right. And it's like, dude, you are completely missing the point. That is not why the Bible was given to us. The Bible wasn't given to us to be a book that we can study and memorize and then argue with each other about. That's not the point of it. It's not, it's, it's not just this scholarly textbook where it's like whoever knows it the best is the most spiritually mature. That's not what it's about. The Bible is a book that teaches us about the incredible love that God has for us. It teaches us how we can have a relationship with this loving Father, and it shows us and it teaches us how we can be a representative of Christ and love the world and love each other well. That's what the Bible is for. It's, it's not about what you can learn. It's not, it's not so focused on the what to do, but it's more focused on why you do what you do. That's what Jesus is more concerned about. He's more concerned about your motive than your actions. Because you can, be, you can do good things with the wrong motive, and guess what? You're still in sin. Exactly like the Pharisees. They, lived, they were whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. You do all of the outward things right, but in, inside you're just dead man's bones. You're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So we need to make sure that is that's we need to make sure that that is our heart, that is our mindset when we come to scripture, when we come before God. And the spirit again never leads to division but always leads towards peace. In 2 Corinthians 13:11, he says, "Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you." In Romans 12:18, he says, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all." Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In Proverbs 16, 7, he says, When a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Man, the Bible has a lot to say. And this is just four. There's like a hundred verses that you can read. God is very much concerned about the way that we love God. People and he he prefers right us when we live a life of love when we live a life that honors God he says that even his enemies will be at peace with him so if you are not at peace with your brothers and sisters especially your brothers and sisters in Christ man let this be a red flag for you check your heart in that make sure that you are doing what you are doing in love and you are doing what you are doing to Honor and glorify God and not honor and glorify yourself. And so Romans 5.5, 5, um, he says, going back to what the Spirit does, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we know and we get to experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So two more things that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts you of your sin. When you, when you are, are thinking a certain way or you did something that you shouldn't have done, man, the Holy Spirit is there to convict you. The Holy Spirit is not there to condemn you, but the Holy Spirit is there to convict you. Man, for you to repent and for you to turn towards Christ and, and ask for forgiveness and live in such a way that is honoring to God and he leads you. So moving on, he says um, in, in chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 4, so one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So this calling that we talked about last week, we talked about how, how every single person in this room that is a believer, that is a follower of Jesus, you are called to full-time ministry. And that is not vocational ministry, but that is full-time ministry. Your job, everywhere that you go, everything that you do, every person that you are around, those are the people and that is the place that you are called to be a minister, that you are called to be an ambassador of Jesus, that you are called to be a representation of Christ. So you live a life, right, of full submission to God. And that's what it means to give your life to Christ, is, is you're saying that I am no longer my own authority. I'm no longer doing things for myself. But now I am living a life in submission to God. Jesus is now my authority. The Word of God is now my authority. Whether, whether it's something I feel like doing or not, it's not up to me anymore. I submit to the authority of Jesus our, our goal, right, our, our, what, what we want to do with our lives is we want to glorify God as his creation, understanding that he is the creator. We are the creation, and he is worthy of our worship. And worship, man, I really want to do, uh, we'll, some, sometime soon we'll probably do a teaching on worship because worship isn't just singing. Again, just like church, just like what we're doing right here is just a small part of what church really is. What we did just before service, man, worship, that is just a small part of what worship is. Worship is not something that you do before service, but worship is a lifestyle that you live. Are you living a life that worships the Father? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Man, this idea of that you can worship God in the way that you eat and drink is mind-blowing, right? And it, it definitely is going to take some time for us to sit down and think about these things and meditate on these things. How am I worshiping God in every aspect of my life? Moving on to verse uh, 5, he says, oh no, never mind. So in that same statement, he says, as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So that's our calling, but what is our hope in? In Ephesians 1, 18 through 19, again, using correlation, it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what is that hope? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? We put our hope in Jesus. And we put our hope, we have hope, Right? We put our hope knowing that after this life, we will experience an eternal inheritance. 
We get to look forward to eternal life, experiencing life and pleasure and joy to its fullness. We did a teaching a few months ago on heaven, and you can go online and, um, and listen to that at ignitiontucson.com or Spotify. We've got like a podcast. So I encourage you guys to go out and listen to that because we have, we, we have this idea, and, and culture tries to put this idea and this false like expectation on what heaven is, and it's just this super boring place, and it's like, man, I, I feel like I'm going to get bored with, with all that stuff. I, I'm going to feel like I'm going to get bored with like disc golfing after a 1,000 years. Never. Well, I get bored. I'm just kidding. Um, I probably would. But anyways, pickleball. I just started doing pickleball too, and that's fun. But again, that's a rabbit show. So let's come back. Thank you, Diego. So we live out our call. We live out our call no matter what suffering or trial may come, knowing that our hope is not in the world or the things of this world, but our hope is in Jesus. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What he is saying here is don't get obsessed. Don't get consumed with the things of this world. And this just, this just sets us up to ask the question, man, what kind of things... Are we putting our hope in? What kind of things are you putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in your relationships? Are you putting your hope in your friends? Or your pastor? Or your church? Man, and, and that's something that, that, I need, uh, that I think I should definitely address. Because these, when people put their hope in their pastor, or people put their hope in their church, it just sets them up for failure. Because guess what? The church, again, is a hospital, and it's filled with really messed up people. And guess what? Just because I'm a pastor, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect, and that doesn't mean that, that I'm not one of those people that is in just as much need of grace than you. I'm a broken person that has the humbling experience and, and opportunity to be used by him in a way that I absolutely do not deserve. Right? So recognize that, that when, you put, when people do put their hope in pastors and churches— when the church does something that, that wasn't right or a pastor does something that wasn't right, they walk away from the church and they walk away from their faith. And that just proves that their faith wasn't in Jesus. Their faith was in their pastor or their faith was in their church. So anyways, are you putting your, your faith or your hope in your pastor or your church? Are you putting your hope, one thing that's happening a lot right now, in your government? Are you putting your hope in money or school or your job? Or this is something that, that, I, that I think about, and I think that this happens a lot at church, and, and, and I already talked about it a little bit, but are you putting your hope in this perception of yourself that you have built up, and you're just extremely terrified that if someone really knew the real you, or what you're feeling, or what you're experiencing, that you would just be met with rejection, and that people would want nothing to do with you. Man, these, these things that we put our hope in, when we put our hope into something that isn't Christ, with time, it proves, whatever that thing is, that it cannot sustain or hold the weight of your hope. We, we were created for worship, absolutely. But when you put your worship into something that wasn't created to be worshipped, it will let you down, eventually. It will. And this same thing goes 
with hope. It will eventually collapse. That, that person that you put your hope in, whether it be your spouse, or your pastor, or your church, again, will let you down. Your friend will let you down. Your job will let you down. You won't f- find fulfillment in these things. And, and it will only bring you pain and anxiety and depression. And, and I was thinking about, like, how do we know? And this is, this is I'm just going to... Um, State this with this is like, this isn't, I'm not saying that this is, this is more so just like my thoughts and my opinion. So take this with a grain of salt. But I'm just thinking like, what are, what are ways that we know that we are putting our hope in something instead of putting our hope in God? And I think one of the ways that, that we can do that is if, if I think about what my life would be at, like without that thing, it would destroy me. And it would cause me deep depression or deep anxiety. If that is where you find yourself with either a relationship or a person or school or your job, just know that that is something that you are idolizing. That is something that you are putting your hope in that is not Jesus. So I encourage you, man, lay that at the feet of Jesus and ask him to transform you. Because it's not like you can just decide that you're not going to put your hope in something anymore. It's not that easy. And we need to ask that God would transform us and that he would make us so much more in love with him than these things that he has given us for our enjoyment. So, anyways, we put our hope, um, we put our hope in the one who can handle it. And that's the thing. Jesus is the only one that can handle your hope. He is the only one that isn't in, afraid or intimidated by your hope, by your full hope, because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Hey everyone, Pastor JD here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the young adults ministry of Calvary Tucson. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 to 28, we want to invite you to join us in person. We meet every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. Come join us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Tell